All right, so it's October 21st, 2021. We're back at Faith and Ale live for the first time since 2019. And it's great to have Dr. Michael Dauphiné with us here, who's going to be speaking with us tonight to our uh, Catholic Men's Apostolate. Before we get started, Dr. Dauphiné, would you lead us in uh, a prayer? I'd love to. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, it's great to have you with us, Michael, and uh, we go back a long ways. You serve as the Matthew Lamb Professor of Catholic Theology and co-director of the Aquinas Center for Theological Renewal at Ave Maria University, nearby here. And we're here to talk about your new book that you co-authored with Matthew Leffering. Um, and this book is published by uh, Word on Fire Press. And it's um, The Wisdom of the Word, Biblical Answers to Ten Questions about Catholicism. And it was published just this past summer. And um, we're glad to have you here. So what are you going to be talking to the gentleman about tonight? Yeah, so uh, we really wrote this book to address the crisis of the church. Yeah. And what we fundamentally see is that the crisis of the church is a crisis in faith. Right. Uh, people don't understand or don't find fully meaningful the claims of the faith yeah. fundamentally about God yeah. and about Jesus Christ mm. and about the way that what God has done in Jesus Christ for us has been communicated through the church. Uh, and we think that the crisis in faith it's ultimately a crisis of faith in the Bible yeah. as the Word of God. Right. Uh, that when people think the Bible is just something old and historical, then they think the church is just something old and historical. Mm -hmm. And if there's no kind of written anchor to our faith, then the church is something that can always change, and why doesn't it change? And sure. right, they're beginning to misunderstand it. So obviously, right, the church is more than the Bible. Right. The church is the sacraments. The church right. is really you know Christ herself present to us, sure. etc. But that fundamentally, we need to recover a sense that God has spoken to us in a meaningful way through the Bible, and that with the Bible, we can really find hope and meaning for our lives. Yeah. You know, many people today face tremendous amounts of suffering, tremendous amounts of worries. Yeah. And right here in the heart of the Bible, we have these beautiful teachings, these beautiful psalms, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, Psalm 23, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. How many people today struggle with anxiety, yeah. with fears, with angers? Yeah. Um, and... You know, and really need to read those words and hear those words. And not only come to know the psalm, right, but to come to know the shepherd behind the psalm. And how appropriate that is, especially, you know, this is the first time we're back in person for an event since what we all went through yes, last year. Yes. But fear and anxiety played a large role in everything a lot of people experienced in the yeah. past 18 months. Yeah. Uh, fear about death, about the unknown, yeah. what's to come in the future. Um, but... Our ancestors that came before us and are obviously detailed in the Old and New Testament, I mean, they lived that, yeah. that fear yeah. about the unknown. In many ways, the Bible asks a lot of the same questions we have. Yeah. It shares a lot of the same fears we have. Yeah. Um, but amidst those fears and amidst those questions, right, the Bible gives answers. Right. And that's what we try to do in our book. And I think also for a lot of people today... Um, either they've walked away from the church because they don't believe the Bible is true or 
because they they never really learned to understand what the Bible meant. So I want to focus on those two because I think yeah. that's what we're finding the most. That's what I see the most, both in social media and personal interactions. Yeah. There's a segment of the population that don't believe anything that's in the Bible, right? They, they completely yeah. disregard what's in the Bible. So we can't even get to the church first because they're disregarding what's in the Bibles. But you address that question in here about the Bible. What, what, do, you, what do you talk about in the book about um, the Bible being the source of truth here? Yeah, I think the, the key theme... Uh, as we approach that, is to understand that uh, if we're going to come to know truth, right, we have to come to know truth primarily through other people. Sure. We get to know truth through what other people say and what other people write and how other people share things with us. This is really how, even the way science works today, science depends upon what other scientists have written and taught. Right. So the same thing. This is really how we learn about stuff. And then we have to just take seriously the claim of Christianity uh, that it is something also unique. That instead of being simply man's or human words about human life and meaning, it's fundamentally God's word about our lives. Uh, Fulton Sheen said something that I always think is very uh, easy to remember in a Christmas homily. He simply said, every religion and every human philosophy uh, is partially true. And partially false because it's really the story of man's search for God mm. but only in Judeo-Christianity do we genuinely have God's search for man yeah so if that is the claim of Christianity then we got to say wait a second there's something here that is unique and you know it's one of those things when you're in the picture you can't see the picture mm-hmm. right when you're in the water you can't see the water mm-hmm. uh, and in a way I just for me at least when I'm in this world I just see there's something wrong with the world. Yeah. There's something that I want to be better than it is. I want to be better than I am. I want the rest of the world to be better than I am. So I think that's a sign mm-hmm. that there's some higher purpose and higher plan. Mm-hmm. And then when I look to the Bible, what I learn is in a way the deeper story sure. of this world that makes sense in a way. Why is it that I don't quite, quite feel at home in the world? Yeah. Well, it's always right. That is the key story of the Bible is that we were created by God to be in harmony, mm-hmm. to be in a loving relationship with him and with the world. But because of sin, disharmony, right, death, illness, suffering has entered the world. Yeah. Um, and, and that somehow, right, God's plan in Jesus Christ is to set that right. And people more than ever are still reconciling that with God's plan. That's one of the great questions that atheists yeah. always pose is what kind of a God even agnostics, what kind of a God would allow suffering? Mm-hmm. And there's always that struggle with suffering yes. and free will. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's something we talk about as well. Is, um, uh, you know, there's uh, Father Josh Johnson, in a book that he wrote about kind of especially, re- he's a younger priest, reaching African-American priest from, I think, mm-hmm. Louisiana, trying to reach out to his generation. And mm-hmm. he talks about some people kind of, you know, they just don't understand why things don't go better for them. Yeah. yeah, he talks about a woman with whom he was um, doing ministry and who just said, like, I go to church, but my husband's in jail. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And my son now is struggling. Why? And yeah. it's kind of like he just said, like, look at the people that have been called by God in the Bible. Yeah. So we try to look at that. Jesus is called. He suffers. Mary is called. She suffers. The apostles are called. They suffer. What we begin to realize is that basically everybody who gets called by God suffers. But what we learn is that actually, no, just everybody's suffering. The Bible doesn't start the process of suffering. It really 
we're already in a world of suffering. And what the Bible does is say, given the fact that we're in a world of suffering, that is not the end of the story, yeah. right? That God enters into the world. One of the things I um, mentioned, uh, you know, and we talk a little bit in the book and as well in, in the talk tonight, but is that idea when we look at the sunset, we see the beauty and we see God must be an artist. You know, when we see the cosmos and its wonder and its order, we see God must be, right, an intelligence. Sure. Right, even, um, you know, Einstein said there must be a mind behind the universe. Yeah. You know, but when I see suffering, when I see evil, when I see the suffering of innocent children, the evil of human beings, the evil of my own heart, I also understand why, why God had to die on the cross. Mm. God somehow, at least in the biblical story yeah the biblical story is not that god's that the world's all good mm -hmm. in the biblical story is that there's some fundamental order and then there's disorder and when i look at the world that's what i see i see order and then i see disorder i see um kind of in this battle between it and what i see is that god in the biblical story what we learn is god enters into that god doesn't leave us alone he enters into our suffering yeah. um, and that ultimately in my mind gives us hope uh, and I think it's ultimately, you know, in a certain sense, like, well, why is it? Um, uh, C.S. Lewis has an interesting line where he just says, look, um, if there were no, not such anything as a straight line, how would I know a line is crooked? That's right. And if there isn't some God who's ultimately good and just beyond this world, why is it that I would see this world as so full of injustice? Yeah. Um, and I think in a way, in my mind, that's what the Bible uh, begins to, uh, I think the Bible begins to uh function in our lives when we see it kind of within this bigger story yeah on another level i mean that's why uh to that analogy i think uh in more recent times we've heard talk about you know exorcisms and belief in the devil and it's almost like sometimes people need to believe in the devil first to believe in god to believe that evil exists yeah. and there is an opposing force right to believe that there is these these true entities that are in this world that you know Catholic priests have to uh, battle sometimes yeah. um, to believe that God exists, right? Yeah. That there has to be this opposing mm -hmm. force, right? Yeah. And I think at some point, too, is, I sometimes feel like, you know, it's, in, in part, we only have to look at the last week in our own hearts, too. Yeah. That if I had power, do you know what I mean? Now, I may have had bad thoughts and sure. then chosen not to act on them, but what if I had power and every time I had a bad thought, I'd acted on it? Yeah. If I ever been irritated with a boss, irritated with a colleague, right. If I ever have thought of doing something that is disordered, now of course, hopefully, striving to live virtue, I turn away from that. Right. Um, but how many people don't do those just because either they don't have the time or the power or the things? And then I say, like, wait a second, there's something in our own heart. Yeah. Um, even the way you know, like, I can do something. I don't know if something as silly as you know, when I'm on my phone, it's important, and when my wife is on her phone, she's being. Um, you know, sure. she's not paying me attention or paying sure. attention to the kids. Sure. sure. How is it that I'm so quick? We even talk about this. We have a whole chapter in the kind of almost like is sin real, mm. right? But it's that idea. Why is it that we're so when we talk about ourselves, we really don't think we sin most of the time. Most people. Right. But just do you think the people around you do? It's like most of them, absolutely, right? You know, I can notice all the time that my kids or my right. family members or my coworkers yeah. are slacking off. Sure. Aren't doing what they're supposed to, and there's something about sin that's blinding. It's hard to remove the plank in our own eye. Yeah, right. And there's even a story in the Bible that we, we I mentioned a little bit in the talk, but it's like you know David can't see his own sin, even though he has committed adultery with Bathsheba. Yeah, had um you know her husband sure. killed, but he can tell the injustice of a rich man stealing a poor man's sheep. Mm -hmm. 
and then he sees it. And that's like, in a certain sense, the problem with our own sin is that it blinds us, yeah. right? It just, you know, so there's something in there that that becomes, and that's in a partly the story. And I feel like in a lot of ways, if you look at even contemporary culture, contemporary culture is always struggling with that, whether or not it's through different notions of psychology or different notions of, you know, um, trying to look for social justice. There's somehow like, wait a second, we're, 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 we're not always doing the right thing. We're, we, we, we somehow aren't as good as we think we are. But I think the danger is they try to look at it, often our society tries to find the, ev the source of evil in the external world, mm -hmm. right? It's because of, um, you know, it's because of societal conflict, right. class conflict, racial conflict. And then solve it with more human solutions. Exactly, so we yeah. look at, we really see it, or even our um, psychological problems mm -hmm. are, can be seen in a materialistic sure. mindset. So we look at the evil as a problem that we can judge materially in things, and then we can apply a human solution. Whereas what I just want to say sometimes is, you know, there's no human solution for death and evil. You know, if somebody has lost somebody, if somebody has, you know, even, I mean, just the wounds that people have, you can't fix that through the justice system. No. Um, so I think we long for a healing and a kind of justice that this world never, uh, that world really can't provide. Yeah. Now you're a professor at um, one of the most faithful Catholic colleges in, in the country, if not the world, Ave Maria University nearby here. You obviously encounter a lot of young people and have in your time there and your tenure at Ave Maria University. Now, a lot of the students that do attend there, um, like myself, when I was a little older than most of the other students that were there, but still nonetheless, they go there seeking, right? There's, there's, there's a seeking um, for something that's faithful, something that's true. Maybe not all, maybe not 100%, but most of them, they go there seeking something that's true. So there's a belief there in the church that the church has something, that the church is a possessor of the truth. You address that question in the book as a church as being an authentic teacher of the truth. Well, what do you talk about in the book about um, the church's role today, 2021, so much scandal, so much corruption that has really eaten at the authenticity of the church and our, yeah. and our credibi credibility yeah. to be a teacher. Do you address that in the yeah, book? Yeah, we definitely do. We, we try to show how does the Bible portray the church, which mm -hmm. is really like it's Ultimately, right, it's the voice and hands of Jesus in, in the world. Yeah. It continues to make known the story of Jesus, the loving mercy of God. Mm -hmm. And I think we never can under, like, we never want to underestimate that importance, right? You know, we sure. wouldn't know that God is merciful unless he said it to Moses. Yeah. And we wouldn't know that God is completely merciful unless he sent his son to die on the cross for us. So... We want mercy in the world. At least I want mercy for myself and for others. And we gotta remember is that we learn that in a way through what happened in history through God's revelation. So the church really is the way in which we continue to receive that. And that has to be the fundamental starting point. And then we also have to just like, you know, we have to, you know, weep with over the sins of the church, the sins of my own sins and many other people's sins and some horrible um, really, you know, scandalous sins by priests, by bishops, by mm -hmm. laity um, that need to be called out. They're mm -hmm. not appropriate, yeah. right? You know, they are scandalous. Um, and then I think we also, though, have to remember that Jesus and Paul knew this would happen. Yeah. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of false prophets who will come as ravenous wolves 
dressed in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus right, says. Paul speaks about there are pastors around here. There are people that I have worked with in the early church that fell away because of love of money or because of other corruptions. So there was never an idyllic age. But I think the one thing I actually try to talk about as well is that we kind of overlook the fact that one of Jesus' 12 apostles betrayed him. Mm -hmm. We're so used to the overall story, we know that eventually good comes out of it. Eventually sure. Jesus rises from the dead, so we kind of forget about the story of Judas. Right. But it must have been very painful for Jesus to be betrayed by one of his closest followers. But another thing I would say is think about it. Some people heard about Jesus through Judas. Yeah. When Judas went to certain towns, they, he told people about Jesus. Mm -hmm. What should they do then? Right. Should they turn their back on Jesus? It's a fantastic point. Right? Yeah. And I just kind of feel like the answer is no. I mean, I know that there are plenty of sinful people, myself included, in the church. And there are plenty of people that have really abused their positions in ways that are... And we know bad. we know that through the Bible that Jesus sent Judas out. Yes. While Jesus was on his... I exactly. Mean, he called said. him as one of his 12. They yeah. sent out the 12. And then yeah. he sent out 72. And so... Yeah. But again, those people who heard about Jesus, that's their, that's their chance. And so like in my mind, if I'm going to look beyond the sins of Judas condemning the sins of Judas. So using that reasoning, I mean, they all should have walked away from Jesus. Exactly. Just as though they're walking away from yeah, the church yeah. now. But the, uh, exactly. And I just think that's where we have to, I, I kind of mentioned in the ideas that we can get so focused looking at something yeah. that we don't see it. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can, it's really, if you look at a word too long, all of a sudden you don't, it does, you're not even sure what it's, uh, sure. you're not even sure like how to pronounce it anymore. Right. One of the things we look at the church so much that we forget what the church is showing us. Right. That the church is showing us Jesus. The church is never saying, look at me. Right. The church is saying, look at Jesus. Right. We're glorifying him. And, and, and right. It's like, that's the beautiful thing at every mass. Um, we don't receive the priest. Right. Right. You know what I mean? We receive Jesus. Yeah. And that's what we need. So, um, and also remember, other thing I also just try to mention too is that look, individual actions of priests are not, so to speak, the actions of the church. Yeah. The action of the church is fundamentally to say to a child, I forget, um, or you are now a son of God, right? I baptized you in the name of the yeah. Father, Son, and Spirit. The action of the church, the real words of the church are to say to me, right, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The central words of the church are not even necessarily everything that's said in the homily, but is right after the homily when you get the creed. Yeah. And that's the fundamental teachings of the church. Um, and, of course, in the gospel, that's when we stand and say the word of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel, yeah. the creed, and the sacraments are fundamentally the words of the church. Not the church's policy on COVID. Not how the church chooses to deal with injustice in the church, whatever policy or commission, those things are important. We ought to do those things, but we don't want to lose sight that fundamentally the church exists for one purpose only, and that's basically to help us to get to know Jesus Christ. I have two final questions for you before we wrap up. One is on one of your questions. We'll wrap up with that. But as a professor of theology at a university yeah. in 2021, what are you seeing in terms of the youth today, that's always a, a hot question for yeah, older generations, sure. right? There's a lot of, and it's been that way for many, many generations, but I think even more so now, there's a lack of faith and trust in the ne in the next generation that's coming up, right? Yeah. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of who's coming to Ave Maria University 
And well, I will definitely say that this is my 21st year yeah. teaching at Ave Maria University, yeah. and you know I continue to see a lot of hope in the next generation. Uh, there's wonderful. a real, um, I think there's a real commitment to uh, to seeking truth, to asking questions. Um, uh, there's a lot of, um, I think you know in a way. Uh, you know, there was a time when kind of maybe if you had a somewhat of a more semi-Christian culture, mm -hmm. you had a lot of people who could kind of float along with the river of the culture. Sure. You could be a Christian because it was somehow worthy to be a Christian. Sure. Or, you know, and, and now it's like, no, most of the people that are, you know, the students that are seeking to live out their faith are seeking to live it out um, intentionally. Yeah. And, and, and that, I think, is a, a positive thing. And, you know, the other thing I also think, too, is that... Um, you know, periods of brokenness mm -hmm. are also periods that need God's mercy. Mm -hmm. um, I think we can continue as a church to talk about how right Christ comes to alleviate shame. Mm -hmm. People may not think about sins a lot today, but they do think about shame. And mm -hmm. I think we have a real message to share with people that are broken and maybe are ashamed of themselves or what they've been done, what's been what they've done or what's been done to them. Mm -hmm. And I think we just have to continue to go to the brokenhearted and try to share Jesus's message of, of mercy and that really, right, Jesus says, you know, shame off you. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we ought, you know, it's like, hey, I think it's always been hard to evangelize the next generation. Sure. Um, and I think, uh, but, but what I see is, is definitely a lot of signs of hope. That's encouraging. So our final question I want to address in the book before we wrap up is obviously on the churches, um, I guess you could say, their ability to teach on matters of sexual morality and what gives them the right yeah. to teach on matters of sexual morality all the time. One of the common things you always hear is, how can a priest tell me what to do? He's a priest. He knows nothing about my marriage. Yeah. knows nothing about the relations between a man and a woman or in today's day and age between you know, the same gender. Um, how does the church have the ability to teach on matters of sexual morality in today's culture? There, there are three key moments in kind of the story of humanity mm -hmm. that I think help us to think about this. And we got to remember first is we were created in a certain way. And one of the things that the Bible helps us understand is we were created with marriage, right? In the very garden, you fundamentally have the marriage of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Right? That a man shall leave his father and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. Yeah. Um, and that's a real beautiful vision. Yeah. That there's something about man and woman that are called to marriage that is not the result of sin, but is the result of fundamental goodness. We even see at the very end of all creation mm -hmm. in the Bible mm -hmm. is the idea of the, mar the marriage of the lamb and the mm -hmm. church. Uh, so I think the fun fundamentally goodness of marriage and sexuality. Also, though, the Bible tells us, though, that all is not well with our sexual desires. Mm -hmm. right? In the book of Leviticus 20, it talks right about many different uh, incest is condemned multiple times. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, thank God. Yeah. Right? You know, we need to condemn certain expressions of human sexuality that are not health healthy or helpful and are hurtful and harmful where yeah. it's no longer, right? Sex can also become predatory. Sure. It can become the more powerful preying on the weaker. And I think our own culture, even some of the uh, Me Too movement or some of the worries about consensuality recognize that it's hard. How do you know when consent has happened? Mm -hmm. You know, the irony is the church actually will tell you. It's like, 
in a marriage. Right. And it actually says, you know, you have to, having declared your, and in, in a Catholic wedding, it usually says, having declared your consent before God and everyone here, right. you're now ready to get married. And I think it kind of, the church shows in a way that there's a kind of seriousness to sexuality, which our culture realizes, but can't name. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that's second. And then the third thing is also just that Jesus' message of mercy. We're all wounded. We're all broken. He goes to the woman caught in adultery and says, right, has no, have, has no one condemned you? Neither do I. Mm -hmm. He goes to the prostitutes and says, come live a new life. Um, that our sexual past, our sexual shames should, are not our limits, mm -hmm. right? We have an opportunity to grow in Christ, grow in virtue, grow really through mercy. Yeah. And I think we have to also share that. And so it's not as though you've done wrong, you're a bad person. It's Forever. more, here is the healing, mm -hmm. you know, if you're interested. In a certain sense, like kind of, you know, and try to talk to people, ask them questions. It's one of the things, by the way, the last thing I want to mention about the yeah, book. Yeah, go ahead. We just, you know, try to set up the quest book around questions. Yeah. And I think it's a great way to engage other people. Why do you, what do you believe? Why do you believe that? What do you think the church believes, mm -hmm. right? What's, you can ask people too, like what's a good argument for the existence of God? What's the best argument for the existence of God? What's the best argument for the church's teaching on marriage? The person you're talking with may actually already know it, yeah. but they just have a human situation that makes them have difficulty accepting it. Yeah. So sometimes it's not the problem is not with the head, sometimes the problem is with the heart. And so we just have to then listen. Yeah. But again, that theme I think of asking questions is a really good one. And, very Thomist way of approaching the subject matter. I love it. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, copies of the book are available um, at Word on Fire. Great. Uh, you can go to wordonfire.org slash wisdom. Okay. Um, so and you can get them there, I think, for 20% off. Oh, so. wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Uh, Michael Dauphine. Thank you for being with us this evening. We're looking forward to your talk. And um, if you would lead us in a closing prayer as well, to close out our talk, and obviously that you have a wonderful talk this evening. Uh, well, let us always... Uh, Lord, offer you all, uh, all the glory uh, that we do in everything that we say and in all of our work and all of our play. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Don. Oh, my pleasure. So